Well, please open your Bibles, if you would, to the book of Genesis, chapter 24. We're continuing our study in Genesis. Genesis, chapter 24. Rather long chapter, but it is all one piece, and we need to hear this message. This is God's word. Abraham was now old and well advanced in years, and the Lord had blessed him in every way. He said to the chief servant in his household, the one in charge of all that he had, put your hand under my thigh. I want you to swear by the Lord, the God of heaven and the God of earth, that you will not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites among whom I am living, but will go to my country and my own relatives and get a wife for my son Isaac. The servant asked him, what if the woman is unwilling to come back with me to this land? Shall I then take your son back to the country you came from? Make sure that you do not take my son back there, Abraham said. The Lord, the God of heaven, who brought me out of my father's household and my native land and who spoke to me and promised me on oath, saying to your offspring, I will give this land. He will send his angel before you so that you can get a wife for my son from there. If the woman is unwilling to come back with you, then you will be released from this oath of mine. Only do not take my son back there. So the servant put his hand under the thigh of his master, Abraham, and swore an oath to him concerning this matter. Then the servant took ten of his master's camels and left, taking with him all kinds of good things from his master. He set out for Aram Nerahim and made his way to the town of Nahor. He had the camels kneel down near the well outside the town. It was toward evening, the time the women go out to draw water. Then he prayed, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, give me success today and show kindness to my master Abraham. See, I'm standing beside this spring, and the daughters of the townspeople are coming out to draw water. May it be that when I say to a girl, please let down your jar that I may have a drink, and she says, drink, and I'll water your camels too. Let her be the one you have chosen for your servant Isaac. By this, I will know that you have shown kindness to, your master, to my master. Before he had finished praying, Rebekah came out with her jar on her shoulder. She was the daughter of Bethuel, son of Milcah, who was the wife of Abraham's brother Nahor. The girl was very beautiful, a virgin. No man had ever lain with her. She went down to the spring, filled her jar, and came up again. The servant hurried to meet her and said, Please, give me a little water from your jar. Drink, my lord, she said and quickly lowered the jar to her hands and gave him a drink. After she had given him a drink, she said, I'll draw water for your camels, too, until they have finished drinking. So she quickly emptied her jar into the trough, ran back to the well to draw more water, and drew enough for all his camels. Without saying a word, the man watched her closely to learn whether or not the Lord had made his journey successful. When the camels had finished drinking... The man took out a gold nose ring weighing a becca and two gold bracelets weighing ten shekels. Then he asked, whose daughter are you? Please tell me, is there room in your father's house for us to spend the night? She answered him, I am the daughter of Bethuel, the son that Milcah bore to Nahor. And she added, we have plenty of straw and fodder as well as room for you to spend the night. Then the man bowed down and worshiped the Lord saying, Praise be to the Lord, 
the God of my master Abraham, who has not abandoned his kindness and faithfulness to my master. As for me, the Lord has led me on the journey to the house of my master's relatives. The girl ran and told her mother's household about these things. Now Rebekah had a brother named Laban, and he hurried out to the man at the spring. As soon as he had seen the nose ring and the bracelets on his sister's arms and, he, and had heard Rebekah tell what the man said to her, he went out to the man and found him standing by the camels near the spring. Come, you who are blessed by the Lord, he said. Why are you standing out here? I have prepared the house and a place for the camels. So the man went to the house and the camels were unloaded. Straw and fodder were brought for the camels and water for him and his men to wash their feet. Then food was set before him. But he said, I will not eat until I've told you what I have to say. Then tell us, Laban said. So he said, I am Abraham's servant. The Lord has blessed my master abundantly, and he has become wealthy. He has given him sheep and cattle, silver and gold, men servants and maid servants, and camels and donkeys. My master's wife, Sarah, has borne him a son in her old age, and he has given him everything he owns. And my master made me swear an oath and said, You must not get a wife for my son from the daughters of the Canaanites in whose land I live, but go to my father's family and to my own clan and get a wife for my son. Then I asked my master, what if the woman will not come back with me? He replied, the Lord before whom I have walked will send his angel with you and make your journey a success so that you can get a wife for my son from my own clan and from my father's family. Then when you go to my clan, you will be released from my oath, even if they refuse to give her to you you will be released from my oath. When I came to the spring today, I said, O Lord, God of my master Abraham, if you will, please grant success to the journey on which I've come. See, I am standing beside this spring. If a maiden comes out to draw water and I say to her, please let me drink a little water from your jar. And if she says to me, drink and I'll draw water for your camels too. Let her be the one the Lord has chosen for my master's son. Before I finished praying in my heart, Rebecca came out with her jar on her shoulder. She went down to the spring and drew water, and I said to her, please give me a drink. She quickly lowered her jar from her shoulder and said, drink, and I'll water your camels too. So I drank, and she watered the camels also. I asked her, whose daughter are you? And she said, the daughter of Bethuel, the son of Nahor, whom Milcah bore to him. Then I put the ring in her nose and the bracelets on her arms, and I bowed down and worshiped the Lord. I praised the Lord, the God of my master Abraham, who had led me on the right road to get the granddaughter of my master's brother for his son. Now, if you will show kindness and faithfulness to my master, tell me. And if not, tell me, so I may know which way to turn. Laban and Bethuel answered, this is from the Lord. We can say nothing to you one way or another. This is, here is Rebekah. Take her and go and let her become the wife of your master's son as the Lord has directed When Abraham's servant heard what they said, he bowed down to the ground before the Lord. Then the servant brought out gold and silver jewelry and articles of clothing and gave them to Rebekah. He also gave costly gifts to her brother and to her mother. Then he and the men who were with him ate and drank and spent the night there. When they got up the next morning, he said, send me on my way to my master. But her brother and her mother replied, let the girl remain with us 10 days or so, then you may go. But he said to them, do not detain me now that the Lord has granted success to my journey. Send me on my way so I may go to my master. Then they said, let's call the girl and ask her about it. So they called Rebekah and asked her, will you go with this man? I will go, she said. 
So they sent their sister, Rebekah, on her way, along with her nurse and Abraham's servant and his men. And they blessed Rebekah and said to her, Our sister, may you increase to thousands upon thousands. May your offspring possess the gates of their enemies. Then Rebekah and her maids got ready and mounted their camels and went back with the man. So the, man, so the servant took Rebekah and left. Now Isaac had come from Beer Lahai Roy, for he was living in the Negev. He went out to the field one evening to meditate, and as he looked up, he saw camels approaching. Rebekah also looked up and saw Isaac. She got down from her camel and asked the servant, Who is that man in the field coming to meet us? He is my master, the servant answered. So she took her veil and covered herself. Then the servant told Isaac all he had done. And Isaac brought her into the tent of his mother, Sarah, and he married Rebekah. So she became his wife, and he loved her. And Isaac was comforted after his mother's death. May God add his blessing to this reading from his holy and inspired word. Well, this is totally foreign to us. I mean, this is not the way that we go about uh, finding a mate. Uh, Mom has died. Son is 40 years old. Isaac is 40 years old. And dad wants to be sure that he marries not just the right kind of person, but the right person. You see, Abraham had this antiquated belief that the God who knows how many hairs are on top of our heads actually cares about who we're going to marry. I mean, imagine. There are very well-known, well-respected people for whom I have respect in today's Christian circles, authors, pastors, etc., who warn against the danger of believing that there's somebody out there that God has picked out for you. They say that leads to all kinds of disasters, most commonly to the fact that after you marry the person you thought was the one, and then you discover that they're human. You think, oh no, I married the wrong one. And so it undermines the marriage because you're wrestling with, what if this isn't the right one? It also leads to the error of thinking that somehow you're supposed to wait around for a lightning bolt so that you know miraculously that this is the person I'm supposed to marry. And that causes some Christian young people to just be kind of paralyzed and unable to make decisions because, you know, how, how do I know if this is the one? And so they warn, don't make that mistake. Well, I would submit to you that they're making a huge mistake. Theirs is that they're ignoring what Scripture says about the God who governs the universe. The God who has a wonderful plan for your life. They're happy to quote the verse from Jeremiah about what God's going to do for his people 70 years later. But the idea that God would actually care about you as an individual and have a plan for you as an individual that may involve some other individual that he has ordained to bring together? Oh, I just... You're trying to make yourself much more important in God's plan 
than you should. No. You have no idea how precious you are to God. He sent his son to die on the cross for you. Do you think he doesn't care who you marry? Oh, if God has somebody picked out for me, how will I know if it's the right one? Are you willing to stay single for the rest of your life? I don't want to. Okay. Do you think God has a plan? I hope so. Okay. Let's look at the alternative. God doesn't have a plan. He's just watching to see what's going to happen. Does that fit with Scripture? Of course not. Does God have a plan? Of course he does. Does God love you? Well, it says, for God so loved the world, and I, I live in the world, so I, I guess maybe he, he does. Oh, you need to know much more than that. God's love for us is beyond comprehension. If you are his child, if you are trusting in him to save you, to forgive your sins and take you to be with him forever, you really ought to be able to trust him with the idea of who you're going to marry, if you're going to marry, when you're going to marry, where you're going to live, and the various things that are going to happen in your life. You understand what I'm saying? So, Isaac didn't even find his own wife. Believe it or not, throughout most of human history, let me say that again, throughout most of human history, in most of the world, people haven't found their own spouse. It's been arranged marriages. Okay, newsflash. To this day, possibly in most cultures of the world still, because think about how many people live in China and how many people live in India. In most cultures of the world still, most marriages are arranged marriages. Well, that's just, that's just crazy. I'm so glad I'm an American. Yeah, in America, we don't do that. We let software do it. Huh? I'm not going to let somebody else pick out who I'm going to marry. Let's see. We still are relying on the input of others, even if it's algorithms. You understand? Not me, man. I stay off the internet. I'm just going where I can meet some chicks. I'm just telling you, most marriages throughout history and still today are ultimately arranged marriages. Now, these folks were agreeable. What happens if she doesn't agree to go along? Then you're released from the oath. It's not like, well, grab her by the hair and drag her back to Isaac. No, if she's not willing, it's not happening. Please notice, he says, if she's not willing. Okay? Isaac apparently was willing. Okay? It's like, I don't know who she is. I don't know what she looks like. 
I don't know what the servant's going to find, but I'm ready. 40 years old, I think that's long enough to live the single life. It is. But let me tell you something. Timing is in God's hands. I've had numerous friends, numerous friends, who have basically given up. I guess it's just never going to happen. It, it, I'm, I'm just not going to marry. Because uh, I just, you know, I mean, obviously I'm, I'm, I'm 23, and, uh, you know, I, I still, haven't, still haven't met the right one. Well, I mean, we laugh at that, because 23, is, goodness, that's not old. But what happens if you get into your late 20s, like past 25? You're, you're really, you even spotted a gray hair right here, okay? And it's like, oh, well, okay, I'm young again. Um, what happens if you hit 30? What happens if you're in your 30s? One of our dear friends in her 30s who had thought maybe this guy, oh, no, he married that person. Okay, Maybe, oh, no, 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 no. He's not, no, he's not the one. Um, in her 30s was like, I, I guess it's not, just not going to happen. But then there was a widower, committed Christian, whose wife had died tragically, leaving him with several children to raise while still trying to serve the Lord in ministry. They got to know each other, and it was very clear that God had ordained for them to be together, but not until after he'd had those children and his first wife had gone to be with the Lord. God knows what he's doing. You understand? They've been together now for decades. But it was kind of a late start. And she'd pretty much thought, well, maybe it's not going to happen. Let me just tell you something. We're not in control of our lives, and when we try to get control of our lives, we just make a mess of things. If you're driving... And, I mean, now maybe that's why they have everybody strapped in the car seats. But if you're driving and a preschooler tried to grab the steering wheel because they wanted to go back somewhere, you know, so they're going to turn the car around, they slipped out of their car seat and jumped over the front seat and grabbed hold of the wheel to try and turn and make you go back to Toys R Us. Do you need to just say, oh, well, I guess they know best? Or do you need to make sure you don't give up control of that wheel? Well, of course, it would be absurd to let a preschooler drive the car. Well, do you understand that the difference between a preschooler's ability to make good decisions and drive the car compared to your ability to make good decisions and drive the car that difference is much less than the difference between you and I versus God. Do you understand? The difference between a preschooler and an adult is a limited difference. The difference between 
our ability to run our own lives and God's ability to know what's best and do what's best is infinite. He doesn't just know a lot more than we do. He knows everything. He knows the future. And amazingly, he loves us even when we try and grab the wheel. But if you are learning and maturing, one of the things that you had better learn and remind yourself of over and over again is, I want God to drive. I, I don't, I don't want to be in control. I want him to be in control. And I want to practice self-control by yielding my life daily to him. So, Father Abraham sent a servant to find a wife for his son Isaac. She had to be from among his relatives who worshipped God, and she had to be willing to marry Isaac. Beyond that, there was no physical description given to the servant. Uh, I think he likes, uh, you know, kind of reddish or auburn hair, um, you know, blondes are okay. Don't, don't get somebody with real dark hair. We're trying to mix up the genes here. Uh, no, there was nothing about her physical ability in terms of the characteristics that the servant was to look for. You understand that? And so when he got there, he meets this girl at, at the well because the expectation was that God would guide and provide Verses 7 and 8. Abraham expected that. The servant expected that. And when it happened, her relatives, as well as Rebecca, respected that. Look at the prayer of Abraham's servant, verses 12 through 14. He says, God... When I do this, let her do this. And when I say this, let her say this. And then I'll know that she's the one. And so, I mean, this girl comes to the well, and because God picked her out, she is, she is so ugly. I mean, she's just, you know... I don't want to be unkind, but maybe I missed something. Huh. Let's see. It says here about her, the girl was very beautiful. Oh, verse 16. The girl, oh, she was very beautiful. God actually picked out a beautiful girl. Wow. Now, some of you are sitting there saying, you mean God would pick me? That's nice. And some of you are sitting there saying, well, I guess I wouldn't be God's pick for anybody. Let me just tell you, the beauty was a bonus. It wasn't an essential. It was just an added blessing. But it was still there. And the Bible still describes it. Do we put too much emphasis in our culture on the way people look? Yeah. Does that mean we shouldn't appreciate it when people look nice? No. Do you remember when Samuel was wondering which of David's brothers were the one? Because David wasn't there yet. He had come to anoint the next king. 
And when he sees Eliab, the oldest brother, he says, wow, that's got to be him. Because the guy was really strikingly good looking. And God says, no, 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 that's not him. Man looks on the outward appearance, God looks on the heart. So don't, don't be deceived by his looks. Yes, he's good looking, but he's not my choice. Well, the next one comes, and the next one, and the next one, and he goes through the whole lineup of Jesse's sons, and God says no to each one. Well, Samuel knows he was sent there by God in order to anoint the next king, and it was supposed to be one of Jesse's sons, and he says, are these all the sons you have? And Jesse says, well, you know, there's the youngest, but he's out taking care of the sheep. And he says, well, we're not going to eat until he comes in here. So they send for David, and David comes in from the field, and he is just pathetic. I mean, he's this shriveled up little guy who just, you know, no good looks, and no! He was good looking also. What is the point, Pastor? The point is, good looks are not a requirement for being used by God. And good looks are not an impediment to being used by God. If we're going to say that we're not supposed to be so focused on the outward appearance, then we got to recognize that what that really means works both ways. It's not that big a deal. Do you know what will happen to your good looks? I've said this in chapel numerous times, and I illustrate it every day. Do you know what will happen to your good looks? They will fade. Gravity will pull everything up here, down here. Okay? I, it just it happens. Just understand. You're going to age if you live. And occasionally there are things you can do to try and make it look like you're younger. You know, hi, I'm sorry I can't blink anymore. I see some people and I just think, who do they think they're fooling? You understand? I mean, how many times your ears are going to be back on the back of your head? You know, it's just, it's ridiculous. <laughs> Looks are not going to last. But, praise the Lord, she was good looking. I fell in love with my wife before I saw her. Because I heard her talking about the Lord. And I thought, who is that? And I couldn't see her from where I was seated. And I finally got to where I could see her. And I was very pleased with what I saw. But I was already drawn to her by her testimony. So, this girl was very beautiful. She was morally pure. Let me say that again. She was morally pure. Let me say that again. She was morally pure. And she turned out to be not only hardworking, but generous and hospitable. Verses 16 through 25. She didn't just let him have a drink. She said, I'll water your camels. Okay, let me see what I can compare this to. If somebody pulls up to the gas pump in a Prius, and I say, uh, that thing takes gas too? Yeah, it's a hybrid. It, it's gas and electric. Okay, um, I'll be happy to pay for your gas, sir. Well, that's generous, isn't it? 
But if a fleet of SUVs pull up to the pump, okay? I mean, a line of SUVs, and I say, how many of them are there? Uh, eight? Okay. I'll pay for all y'all's gas. That's not just generous. That's almost crazy. You understand? Because those SUVs are going to drink gas, aren't they? Right? Camels drink water like SUVs drink gas. They are prized in the desert because they can go long distances without a drink. But therefore, when they get to their destination, they drink and drink and drink and drink and drink and drink. And she's going up and down stairs to get water and bring it up and water the camels, not just giving them some water, but giving them water until the camels are totally satisfied. Wow. What if she had said, um, okay, well, after you've had a drink, if you want to use my jar and get water for your camels, I'll, I'll be glad to wait until you're done watering them. That would have been nice. That would have been generous. But she said, no, I'll water them. Why did she say that? She may have been wondering that as she was going up and downstairs. Okay? But you see, he had prayed, Lord, if she says this, I'll know she's the one. Why would he know? Because most people are not going to say that. Do you understand? This wasn't like a normal thing. And if she gives the customary greeting, no. This was an extraordinary act of generosity, kindness, hard work, hospitality. That's the kind of person you want to marry. Because I said it before, I'll say it again. Looks fade. But character lasts. You want to get married? Well, pray that God will give you somebody who's got godly character and then be the kind of person that would be attractive to a person of godly character. If the stuff you say makes it clear that you are not seeking to follow the Lord, why do you think that that's going to attract the kind of person that you supposedly are interested in marrying? So, the servant bowed down and said, you are the most beautiful girl I've ever seen. No, he bowed down and worshipped the Lord and recognized this is the one that the Lord has chosen. Verse 14, verse 44. When he goes to the house, or to the tent, he shares the story, and again, her relatives recognize this is from the Lord, verses 50 and 51. Rebecca's given a choice, and she's willing, verses 57 and 58. So when she and Isaac are about to meet, camels are approaching, he's out in the field, he's been out there meditating. It's not transcendental meditation. This is meditating on the Lord and his promises. Um, Isaac sees the camels and he starts walking toward them. And uh, she sees a man walking and says, who is that? And the servant says, that's my master. And so she says, oh.
right? No. She put a veil over her face. What a bizarre thing. Why would she do that? Well, because she was ashamed of her looks. No, she was beautiful. So why wasn't she trying to show as much as she could? This is the guy I'm going to marry. I want him to be attracted to my beauty. (laughs) Because that's not the mindset of a godly person. So are you suggesting, Pastor, that if we really love Jesus, all the young ladies and perhaps the married women too should always be veiled? No, I'm not saying that. She wasn't veiled until Isaac was coming. You understand? She put her veil over her at that point. Why? Well, not only was it customary in that time that the groom doesn't see the bride right before they're going to get married, and they were about to get married. That, by the way, is still, though people today have no idea why they're doing it, that's still what people do. Okay? A couple that has met each other, known each other, spent time with each other, and agreed that they're going to marry each other, and she's wearing an engagement ring probably. When they're about to get married, right before the wedding, he's not to see her. Huh. And then, the day of the wedding, many brides still have a veil. And the veil is lifted when they're down front, usually by her dad. Takes that, pulls it back. Okay? Isn't that lovely? Sometimes they keep that veil over all through the service, and then at the end of the service, when it's time after they're married, I now pronounce you man and wife, you may now kiss the bride. At that point, the veil goes up. Okay? Where do all those traditions come from? Ancient times. What do they mean? Uh, what does it mean you may now kiss the bride? That sort of assumes you haven't been doing that a lot beforehand, doesn't it? You see, we have strayed so far from the intent of God's plan for marriage that it's just, you know, we don't even understand what the customs are about. I'm going to ask you to say something this morning with me that you know, you've memorized it. Newest students don't have it memorized yet, but the rest of you should be able to say this very clearly. We're going to talk about what God says concerning sex. Ready? Sex is designed by God to be an expression of love between a man and a woman who are married to each other. Let's say that one more time. Sex is designed by God to be an expression of love between a man and a woman who are married to each other. So if you are fantasizing about who all you'd like to have sex with, you're thinking like my dog that's in the kennel behind my house because she's in heat right now. You understand? If you, on the other hand, are a child of God, you're not supposed to think like a dog. And instead of thinking about who all you might like to have relations with, you need to be praying that God will help you to stay focused on Him and not fantasizing about stuff that God says is going to land you in the lake of fire. 
I hope I'm being clear. They were married. And he loved her. Now, was their marriage perfect? No. We'll learn more about that in the chapters to come. But I'll tell you this. There is no doubt, even when things were tough in their marriage, there is no doubt from God's word that they were married to the one God intended for them. Let's pray. Father, you know all things. You know all things. We pray that you would forgive our sins, that you would cleanse us from evil, that you would destroy, absolutely destroy the bondage that so many people are in. And that you would cause those who are your children to desire holiness, not sin. To please you, not sinful flesh and the devil. And we will give you the praise in Jesus' name. Amen.